Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to Non-Contact Time, a podcast about all things educational, hosted by Hannah and Kath. I'm Kath. I'm Hannah. So what's in the agenda today, Hannah? This week, we're going to talk about a lot of the teacher bashing that's been going on in the press. We're going to speak to Ellis from Primate, and he's going to explain all the lovely things that Primate can offer students, teachers and parents. In Pupils Causing Concern, we're going to hear a funny story. And in any other business, we're going to do some shout outs and hear from some upcoming guests. So, Kath, let's get on with the show. In data, we're going to look at the article called Teacher Bashing Has to Stop. And it's by Alan Hall. So, Kath, do you want to explain a little bit about this article? So I stumbled across this article when I was doing a bit of research for the show. And I have to admit, I find that a lot of the news that comes out about teachers is so negative and it really does have an impact on me because I'm trying to do a really good job and I'm sure there's lots of teachers out there feeling the same way. And what's really great about this article is that it actually addresses how the media approached schools during lockdown. So there's a really good quote from here that I'm just going to read. Through the good, the bad and the absolute gruelling, we want the best for our pupils. We are fully aware of the impact that a prolonged closure can have on the majority of pupil progress and motivation. And as a school, we will do what is realistically possible during and after the lockdown to give pupils the best education. And I think that's a really good reflection of how all schools feel about lockdown about this strange time in education and then about what we're going to do to recover education after lockdown a lot of um the press were criticizing the way people were doing things and early on and we even talked about it in the podcast earlier on talking about live lessons versus not live lessons and what's good and what's bad and getting off set in and it just causes a lot of fear what's one of the things that's really bothered you about this teacher bashing that's been going on Hannah it's the way that everything's generalized and it does affect I know we talk about well-being a lot but I think it does affect internally my perception of my career so I went into teaching because I want to share my passion with other students 
of music. So it just dampens that whole positivity that teachers are striving for in their classrooms, teachers are striving for for their students, for, for the parents, for the wider community. And it seems like it's aimed at the whole profession when actually it's just referring to maybe one or two stories that MPs might have heard or the media might have heard and that it's just gained traction because obviously any type of news sells. So I do parent phone calls, obviously now we're in lockdown and I speak to students as well. And a lot of parents are saying really positive things about the school. They're saying that, you know, we're going above and beyond. We're giving students more opportunities now. Students are working harder, believe it or not, now than they were previously. And they feel like they've got a lot of work to do. In some cases, we're getting parents saying that the students can't keep up with the workload. So we're addressing that. But then you hear in the news that teachers aren't doing enough. There's not enough opportunities for students. And I don't know where this information is coming from. And I think we've got to unpick the reasons why those things happen. So, for example, if you're working in an area of high deprivation and your students don't have access to laptops and your local authority hasn't been able to get those for the, for the local schools, teachers have got to physically make the work give them to the office and they've got to post them all out. I understand the importance of that and the importance of this continual uh, learning for students and not missing out. But actually, in those circumstances, should we be bashing those schools for not providing live lessons, for example? Or should we be talking about the positives and the things that those schools are doing for those students in terms of going above and beyond? I've, I've seen so many articles uh, news reports of teachers who travel around their local community and just knock on doors and talk to parents and talk to pupils. That's really invaluable. We should be talking more about those things that teachers are doing to go above and beyond and mitigate the disadvantage. Because let's not forget at the very beginning of all of this, there was no obligation to cover the curriculum as it is. Hi. There was no obligation to mark. There was no obligation for live lessons. And those are the three things that seem to be the most contentious and the most talked about in the press to do with why aren't teachers delivering live lessons all the time? Why aren't we marking books? Why aren't we delivering the curriculum as it was? And I know we've said this before, that word unprecedented is frustrating and it shouldn't be used as, as an excuse by any means. But why are we saying that everybody should fit this mould when we know that individual schools, individual pupils, individual demographics are all different? And as long as a school is doing exactly what that demographic needs, I don't understand why we're bashing the whole profession. So some of the real key negatives that have come out of um, the press have been things like teachers lack courage. And I really hate that phrase that we lack courage with so much of what we do is risk-taking when we teach and having to second-guess things and kind of predict an outcome and if you've never been in a position where you've had to do that you don't really know what we go through and um, that lack of courage was then stopping us to go back into the classroom and I think any individual's choice to stay safe is not a lack of courage it's actually looking out for yourself so that you can look after other people there's um some I can't even remember who said it but a really good saying about putting your 
um, air mask or your face mask on first before you help others on a plane. We have to do that as teachers. We have to think, am I safe? Because if I'm not safe, I can't deliver something to my students. There's another one where teachers are lazy and it was responded to in the article with saying, I could be crass and reply with similar unnecessary spiteful comments about other professions and what their employees are doing with accepted furlough taxpayer funding. And I hope the answer is that they and their family are safe and well. Whereas it feels like that if you are a teacher, you are tarred and feathered. And I think that's really important. I know firsthand how hard some of the teachers at my school have been working, but not just the teachers at my school, talking to other teachers online, uh, going onto teacher forums. So many people are sharing resources, helping out one another, talking about CPD, sharing risk assessment, sharing strategy. I think this has been a great time of growth for lots of teachers doing independent CPD and trying to make themselves better teachers. So saying we're lazy is just the most ridiculous statement ever. And a really important point that's made in this article by Alan Hall is that schools didn't choose to close. It was a government mandate and they didn't close completely. They partially closed and then ran online learning. So we are doing a job that we've never done before without any training and we've been doing it really well I think and what I think is really miraculous is how many teachers are preparing themselves for reopening we still don't really know what it's going to look like in September and I know there's a lot of American schools and schools overseas who are talking about the same thing what's the plan what are we going to do but I know personally we're talking about parallel planning where we're planning two things alongside one another so we're planning how it might work in a classroom but if we can't teach them physically in a classroom how can we then design the curriculum and our activities and everything else so that a child can learn remotely whether that's in another classroom to us with a non-specialist teacher or whether it's from home with their parents because we just don't know what's going to happen but i think the teacher bashing really does have to stop we're all in this together and we need to be advocating for each other. Now, Hannah, I know you've been doing a bit of teacher advocacy on Twitter. Tell us about what's been happening recently with you. On Twitter, there was an article published that's the title on the TES was, whilst many schools have done remarkable work, others have not been able to provide the same offer for one reason or another. And this too needs to be investigated why. Now, in the comments section for that article, there's lots of people who are trying to explain the reasoning behind schools offering different provisions. So a website that's titled resourceourschools.org.uk has created a really nice graphic that talks about last year, a thousand plus schools turned to crowdfunding websites and wish lists to raise money for basic supplies. In 2020, secondary schools have £100 less per pupil to spend on textbooks, science equipment and edtech than in 2013. 43% of teachers have purchased textbooks or reading books for their pupils in the past year. Even with the government's £14 billion additional educational funding, primary schools will only have £2.92 more per pupil to spend on classroom materials. And finally, 30% of teachers are forced to use textbooks, worksheets and software that are out of date because their schools don't have the money to replace them. And that final point, 
I know in my school, there were teachers who don't have access to a laptop. As a school, we use desktop computers. We don't have laptops that teachers can take home. So when lockdown was first announced, we found out on the Friday that school wouldn't be open on the Monday. And we didn't have enough staff laptops so that staff could only set online learning through their phone. And although it's a resource and it's a brilliant resource, it's not an adequate resource to to set meaningful and you know deep learning tasks it all depends on the demographic of your staff the demographic of your students and what's available to you and if there's consistent cuts in funding like there has been for the last 12 years there are going to be gaps and actually instead of pointing your finger at schools and saying what are schools doing what are schools doing schools should turn their finger upwards (laughs) if that's the right phrase (laughs) and say to government what are you doing? How are you um, enabling me to do my job to the best of my ability? Yes, we've got you know the the World Wide Web, but it's only fantastic if you can access it. On the back of that article, I actually retweeted it and talked about the constant teacher bashing and how shameful it is. So I wanted everybody to fill Twitter with positive teacher stories during lockdown. And some people have been tagging others in, which is fantastic. So I'm going to read out some of these teacher stories because I think we need to have a little bit of light at the end of this dark segment. So there's way too many teachers to flag up who are doing fantastic work. I've personally seen some amazing work at both Holcombe Primary in Bury and Bowling Park in Bradford. Reception and admin, teaching assistants, teachers, SLT, above and beyond, whilst always smiling. Other people have been talking about checking in with their staff at 8.30am over Zoom and really talking to each other about how they're doing. Other people have talked about that we've grown much closer to our families through regular check-ins. We've done a mixture of paper-based, which are workbooks purchased by school and online activities and had very positive feedback. And someone else has talked about Class Dojo. Have you heard of Class Dojo? I haven't. So Class Dojo is an online, it's like a reward system. And I've only looked at it briefly. I've not really gone into it, but one of the teachers on Twitter had tagged me and said that they use Class Dojo to praise the students. And every time they submit a piece of work, they add points onto Class Dojo. And it's a really great tool for parents, students and staff to see who's going above and beyond who's doing really well but also it's a tool to see which students are disengaged and which students are struggling so then you can put targeted support in place and really ask those students and parents what can we help you with how can we make sure that your experience is a positive one and that when you come back to school in September you are not feeling that you're too far behind so that's brilliant the final tweet that I wanted to end on a head teacher had said My very wise 14-year-old daughter said to me yesterday, Mum, I don't think there is a job you can do where you can make everybody happy all of the time. And then she's put, I'll settle for focusing on the lovely feedback. And that's really important. We cannot be everything to everybody. We can try. We can put loads of things in place. But ultimately, people's experiences of school are going to be very different depending on where they've come from, who they are, you know, their background, their likes, their dislikes, it's all going to be very different. So as long as you're trying your best and it's hitting the mark for the majority of pupils, it doesn't mean stop, stop there and go, right, well, we're doing fine. It just means that you've got to continue to work towards supporting everybody in the school community. And that's what I think head teachers are doing at the moment. They've got the majority on board. They've done all these fantastic things for the majority. And we've been working at it for four months now. But 
there are things that head teachers are now doing behind the scenes and senior leadership teams and teachers and schools that address those gaps and support those students who have fallen through the net. So Hannah and I are going to put on social media, tag and share your fantastic stories of teachers that have been doing great work during lockdown, because we think it's so important to hear those stories and to hear those strategies. I found it really beneficial um, going on the art and design forums and finding out what people are doing there. I attended the EdTech conference earlier in the week and listening to how people are using technology in a really powerful way was really, really inspiring. It really helped me. But I know there's so many other things that are going on out there. So we want to share that positivity and make sure that the message about teaching and education is one that shows how hard everyone works and how fantastic everyone's doing. So in teaching and learning this week, we have Ellis from Prime 8 talking to us about his software. I know Hannah's really excited about this software and I'm pretty sure she's going to become a coding genius from using it herself. So have a listen to what Ellis has got to say. What's your experience in education? So I'm a primary school teacher, a qualified primary school teacher, um, teaching mainly uh, lower key stage two, but across the board key stage two, a little bit of key stage one. Um, before that, I was uh, running an adventure activity centre for children, so outdoor education and adventure activities. Um, and uh, currently, I've moved away from the classroom um, in terms of my own classroom, and I'm working peripatetically in primary schools doing whole class teaching of music, PE and forest school. Love that stuff. In five words, describe what teaching is to you. I suppose for me, it's independent thinking, exploration, fun, and then it's got to be broad is such a cliche word in education now, but broad, it's got to, it's got to be a, a good mix of lots of different aspects so that every child can find something that they're good at. So broad is the word I'm going to go with despite the cliche. And we will finish with experiential. Oh, I love that word. There's <laughs> lots of people that wouldn't know what experiential um, education is. So do you want to explain that a little bit? So to me, experiential education is about the children actually experiencing what you're teaching. So every single subject can have experiential learning. So if you're teaching about maths and teaching about angles, it's not about having angles on a piece of paper with a protractor and saying, there you are, you've learned about angles. It's about drawing the angles on the floor so you can see when the door's opening. It's about going outside and drawing shadows with the sun so you can see the shadow moving and measuring the angle between it. It's about using angles to measure the heights of trees or the heights of buildings using trigonometry in real world situations. So for me, experiential is about teaching the core and then backing it up with how in the real world it's useful so that children can understand why they're learning it as much as what they're learning. Brilliant. Thank you so much for that. In five words, describe the best type of student to teach. The best student to teach is one who learns from mistakes. Oh, I love that. What is your classroom pet peeve? So is there something that happens that you're like, oh, that really grates on me? Um, so when I was in the classroom with my own class, I was primary and mm. one of the biggest issues I had was glue sticks without lids. Oh, yes. Oh, and I'm sure you, and so it doesn't get any better in secondary. Oh, no. Uh, no. But, oh, so I, again, just turned it into a game. 
if we're tidying up and you find a glue lid on the floor, you have to shout, glue lid, no stick. And if you find a glue stick with no lid, you shout, glue stick, no lid, and you find your partner that's got the opposite, and it all turns into a fun game, and I cannot have palpitations over the fact that there's no glue lids on the sticks. That is the best Do you know game. <laughs> I don't let the students throw out glue sticks because I'm a weirdo and it's so that I can take all the spare lids so we actually have a spare <laughs> lid container in our office so if a kid goes this one doesn't have a lid I'm like yes it does here's another one that's brilliant <laughs> <laughs> always a lid so, so what do you do to look after your mental health and unwind at the end of a really tough day for me it's all about people so um whether it's a phone call this time but normally it would be going and seeing people going out somewhere um i uh, i'm a big on music and uh drama as well so i'm a member of the local drama club um, i play for a local brass band so going out being with people that are like-minded that i can just have a fun time with i don't have to then think about work um once i'm there um and it's just sort of doing something different to work staying at home you end up you know fixing things up for the next day or thinking oh I could just do a little bit more of that or maybe I could just adapt that planning for tomorrow you know that it's perfect you know that it's it's, it's going to work you know that you've got everything ready but you can always just check it again so keeping busy with other activities so that I can just take that complete mental break from it I like oh, that. great answer yeah and obviously Hannah likes the music because yeah, I'm, a, I'm a music teacher. Absolutely. <laughs> Every time you say it, I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> What's one thing you'd like to see changed in education? Learning outside the classroom needs to become a much bigger focus. 10, 15 years ago, they brought out the learning outside the classroom accreditation. And mm -hmm. for, a, for a year or two, it was this big thing where you got an actual accreditation if you were able to learn outside the classroom within your school or education establishment. And then it died away. Then something else came out, then bushcraft, then survival, and now it's forest school. And it, it does seem like these are all thoughts and it's the buzzword at the time. And I'd like to see it become a real core value within schools that going outside, learning about the environment, um, you know, environmental education as an actual subject. I think it's really important that, that children are, are taught these things rather than focusing on sitting in a classroom, writing the answers down and, and getting the answers right. I love that. <laughs> um, Hannah, I'm gonna hand it over to you to continue with your questioning. What is primate coding in a nutshell? Primate coding is a collection of uh, videos that teach a progressive series of lessons following the national curriculum of primary school coding that don't require any more teacher knowledge than most will already have. So it requires teachers to be able to turn on a laptop, navigate to our website, log in and then push play on a video. Then we take over Cody Coyote, who is our main character who uh, voices over the videos. He leads the pupils through all of the lessons, showing them what to do or explaining what he would like them to do so they can then have a go themselves. Some of the lessons are uh, directed lessons where they are, it's explained to them. Some of the lessons are experiential lessons where the concept will be explained and they'll be told, you know what blocks you can use, you know how to do this, go and give it a go and I'll show you how I would have done it at the end of the lesson. So there's a mixture of styles of teaching and learning within that 
but teachers don't need any expert knowledge to teach the coding because our videos do it for them. So the idea of it for us as well, it's when we first started developing, it was all about developing these videos so that the teachers didn't need to have the knowledge. And then we thought, well, hold on, by the teachers being in the classroom at the same time, we can deliver CPD to teachers because they're learning coding by watching the video with the students. And it then gives that message of, I don't know the answers, but let me watch it with you. We'll learn together. And the children see that vulnerability within the teacher and go, okay, it's okay not to know, but it's okay to then learn it. And it just adds a level of, of teacher pupil joining together that maybe hasn't been there, wasn't there, or the teacher wants to be there but struggles to put in. While, while Kath may not be happy with me saying this, art is not my strong point. Um, and <laughs> as, as a primary school teacher, you have to teach a huge broad range of different artists and sculptors and introduce this huge curriculum within art. I love the idea of art, I just can't draw. Um, and so, so if I had to try and teach an artist that was very pure art, I would really struggle. So I would then go and find artists that were slightly more abstract concepts and show ideas to the children and say, I've had a go over the weekend, now I'm gonna have a go in front of you and we'll see what it turns out like. And then after I've finished my demonstration, say, well, actually, I think next time I would have tried this and that didn't go so well there. Maybe you could try and see what you can do better than me. Um, there's no point me saying, yes, I'm gonna teach you art because I'm a fantastic artist, because I know that I'm not but I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to show you what I can do. You've probably got better ideas than me. Why don't you take what I've done and ex expand on it, extend what I've done onto something further and show me what you can do. And maybe you could teach me how you did that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that's brilliant. For those who don't know what, don't know the platform, what is Scratch? So Scratch has been developed um, to introduce coding at a very simplified level. The actual, um, what you can do with Scratch, you can go really far and you can create some absolutely amazing programs. But the concept of how to use it and the user, the usability of it is really quite simple. They put all the coding into blocks that have very simplified wording. So it might say move and then you can put how far to move steps, move 50 steps, for example. And so you just place the block and it's almost like a jigsaw piece and the blocks connect together like a jigsaw to make your code. So you're creating a, a code that all clicks together like a jigsaw and you can read it almost like a sentence because of the wording of these blocks. Um, so what we've done is we've taken Scratch because it is a fantastic platform to introduce coding, but also you can take it really far. And we've put our characters in there because we feel that our characters having an environmental um, expertise each, we can then put that environmental education within our computer coding and start introducing that environmental education that we feel is really, really important while also helping schools to teach the coding curriculum that maybe they are struggling with because it does require a level of expertise that a lot of teachers don't have. Yeah, I think that's really important. The step-by-step, -step, the ease of use, it just makes it so much easier for teachers and then students then to, ca to catch on. Absolutely. So we, we've chosen to just use one style of software because then the pupils can see the progression through. They can follow a progressive path, introducing new blocks, introducing new ideas. They can then uh, see how their learning is extending across, but they can go really in depth 
into this software um, and get a really broad idea of all the different things you can do with coding rather than just saying, well, you can move using this coding or you can do it this way or there's this and, and finding lots of different ways to do the same thing. We're saying, let's do a broad spectrum showing all the different things that coding can do, learn to do it using our software that we've called Primate Coding. And then once you know that coding can offer all these ideas, as you go through your education into secondary, you can learn other ways to code. You can then, you've got the broad knowledge of what it can offer and you can then select how you're gonna do that, which programming language you're gonna use in order to do the things that you want to do. You always want your pupils to go to the secondary school and, and your, your primary school to have that pride of being the school that sends their children up ahead of where the secondary school want them to start um, and get a really good reputation for that. Um, and it is that pride as a teacher of, yeah, I was part of that. We, we as a school, as a team, we have done that and our pupils are ready for the next step um, and they, they've already hit the ground running at secondary school. Um, and don't have to, to play catch up. Um, and that's, I think, a really important thing to be able to deliver. So I've taken that thought process and concept and gone, well, let's not just teach to where maybe secondary schools want us to be. Let's get that done in year five and then let's push it on into year six, go really broad, really wide, introduce the independent thinking. Year six is very much a what can you do better? How can you make this code better? I would like you to create this quiz. You know all the blocks, have a go and try it. Or um, there's a couple of videos where Cody will say, I've created a program, I know what I want it to do, but it doesn't work, can you help me? And he'll then get the students to try and debug his programs. He then goes and phones his cousin Coda, who is better at coding than him, and she tells him what he's done wrong. <laughs> at the end of the video, the students can listen to Coda, she'll tell him what he's done wrong, and he goes, oh, I'm such a silly Billy. And then they learn from it as well, because Cody's saying, I may be a coding expert, but even I make mistakes. So there's that vulnerability within Cody himself, as well as the students having to help him by just being given a program and told, can you debug it for me? Because I don't know what the problems are. And they have to just delve deep into this program and go, right, what does it mean? What does it say? which I think is a level above where primary schools are expected to be from the national curriculum. And that's what we're gonna expect them to do. But they'll have come all the way from year one, following this progressive get steady skills set all the way through to that point at year six. So it's not gonna be drop them in really heavily in year six and they suddenly panic. That's brilliant. I think also switching up the kind of um, the skill set that they're going to have to use. So not only are they building their own code, but they're debugging their own code and they're working on different aspects. You could gear it towards one curriculum area or another, couldn't you? If you, you could do a quiz based on kind of the geography stuff they've learned. Absolutely. So we will teach them how to write a quiz. That's one thing that we do in, in year five. Um, there's four lessons and it takes them step by step. And the first lesson is actually, how do you research on the internet? How do you know that your information is correct? How do you determine that the website you're looking at is a good website and has the right information? So we teach them all about searching. Then they have to record their own voiceovers. So it's actually an English lesson. We're talking about public speaking. We're talking about um, pronunciation of their words and making sure that they're slow and clear. So it's not just, here's coding, we're gonna delve into coding, it's cross-curricular in as many aspects as we can. Then we go onto the code and they code their quiz because they've done, they've, they've voice-overed all their questions, they've researched all their questions and answers, 
then and only then can they really program their quiz because they don't have any information before that. Then we put in the score, we put in a timer, um, we put in extra blocks so that it tells them their score at the end, all the little more quirky bits that you then want a, a quiz game to do. Once they finish that, they've got the knowledge of how to write a quiz. Their geography teacher could then say, we're gonna do a quiz, you can do it however you want, but I want you to make a quiz for your friends on Antarctica. And one student that says, I love coding, can say, I know how to write a quiz using coding. I can use that knowledge and I can apply that to geography. I can apply it to history. I can apply it to any subject because I know the foundation. And now I've learned a bit more in computer science in secondary school. I can now add that into it. I, can, I want it to do that. Let me, let me figure out how to do that. It adds that foundation that they can build on and keep going into other subjects and take with them everywhere they go. I like that as well because it seems like the imagination of the student can take the program anywhere. It's, there's no limits. The student can just do as much as they want and get as far as they want um, and cover all subjects or whatever they like to do with it. Absolutely. We, we've done our very best to ensure that there is no real ceiling on the lessons that we've got. Yes, we will teach them one way to do it because those students who maybe are not understanding coding as well need that foundation of this is the way to do it if you want to just do it. Those that are ahead of it, we then say, maybe you could change yours, adapt yours. Maybe you want to make yours a little bit different. If you can, why don't you talk to someone else and explain to them how you've done it? And so not only are they then making theirs different, but they're having to completely fully understand it in order to explain it to someone else. So it's mm. that fully ingrained understanding of what they're doing by explaining it to someone else that if that person then understands, then the person that created it must understand what they're doing. And as well, it's more of a, um, a future skill, isn't it? We're creating students and learners who can go into any job in the future with a certain set of skills that could be redundant by the time they get to 18, 19, but they've learned how to problem solve. They've learned how to use technology to their advantage and they've done all these extra things. That was one thing that, that really got me when I was teacher training. Uh, when I was teacher training, we were told 90% of the jobs the children we teach do will involve skills that we don't know exist because yeah. technology is moving on. We don't know what's coming up in technology. And therefore the children, that, especially in primary that I'm teaching in 2010, by the time that they're older and they're moving into jobs, it's 2025, you know, that was 15 years later. We didn't have a clue what was coming or what was going to happen. And we're trying to teach them about the technology of the day. Whereas now I'm saying, no, let's not do that. Let's teach them how to think independently. Let's teach them how to think technically. Let's teach them how to think like thinkers so that when they come up with a problem, they don't go, I don't know how to do this. They say, well, I, I learned that and I learned that and I know that and I can look that up. And if I put all those together, I've got a solution that I can start with and build on and wow, there we go, there's the next thing. Their problem solving skills and their thought processes are become one and become automated. So they're not having to even think about the fact they're problem solving because problem solving is not a skill they're learning. It's so ingrained in them that they just automatically come across a problem and go, right, I know what I can do to pull in these bits of information. I can now start somewhere to find a solution. 
I think that, that's definitely really important and the skills that we should be embedding in students for the future. Primate Coding is just one of the products that come from a company called Primate International. Primate International's main focus is educating the children of today to protect our tomorrows. We believe that protecting our tomorrows is really key, especially from the environment. So Primate, in, Primate International have developed a gang of eight characters who each have their own environmental specialism and they now each have their own computing specialism and those gang members are there to help children to understand how they can also help with the world. So each of the members um, has a little introductory video on our website that they can um, find out more about that environmental concern and how that character is helping to develop it. Um, we've also got some educational apps that we have developed and we've put them into a large game um, which is going to be called Primatia. Uh, Primatia is the eighth continent of the world. It's a continent where it's environmentally friendly. Um, everything is zero. It's carbon neutral. Um, and Primate Gang, who in the prologue, which is available now from Google Play Store, um, that is where you meet the characters and they're in the land of humans and they have to get all of their equipment together. You help them to develop their understanding so they then get the boats to go across to Primatia and Primate Island where they start their big adventure and that will then be available in the, the Primatia game. Um, chapter one is the birth of Primopolis. And it's about developing these characters so that children can associate with the characters. They can then really feel part of something, whether it's part of a game or part of the environmental world that we're trying to develop. These characters are what we think will really link children to the environment and how they can help those characters to change the world and protect our tomorrows. In this large game, we've got Primopolis Maths, um, where it completes all of the number work from the primary school national curriculum in 11 mini games. So children can do all of the primary school national curriculum for maths number work by playing these games, which can also be available for interactive whiteboards in a classroom. We've got um, other games that we're developing within that, which we're hoping to release as separate apps, which are environmental games or uh, weather bingo is one of the ones that we're developing just to add an element of fun to science lessons. Um, we uh, have a series of books. So each of the main eight characters from the Primate Gang has written their own book. Um, and so they are the fun picture books rhyming for children four and upwards to help children to understand about the environment and what they can do to help the primate gang to make the world a better place. So we're really trying to help teachers, schools, parents to educate children in how we can and they can protect our tomorrows using lots of different platforms, but the majority of it is STEM thinking and technology to help the environment. It sounds absolutely brilliant. I don't teach primary and I really want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I was thinking, it sounds really interesting. Yeah. Um, I did want to ask, um, within the lessons that the students do, I know you talked, you touched on talking about how learning how to search, which I think is really important. I think students being able to decide whether something's a good source or a poor source is really important. Does it actually um, touch on safeguarding issues as well and e-safety? So the coding side of it is um, what we're developing at the moment. Once we've yeah. got all of the videos up and running, which will be by September, we'll have all videos for every year group up on our website ready to go. 
uh, with a progression of skills document um, and an assessment spreadsheet that's an automated spreadsheet that works out um, PP versus non-PP across the school, boys versus girls. So okay. you can look at different um, areas within the school and see if there's any gaps in learning within the coding curriculum. Once, um, once that's all sorted up and running, we're then going to develop the digital resilience and digital citizenship lessons, um, which will then cover screen time it will cover protecting yourself online. It will then cover all of the other aspects, not only of the national curriculum, which to be honest, doesn't cover a lot of that, but all of the really important and fundamental parts of computing that aren't just, can you do this? Can you do that? It's not skills based. It's literacy. It's, it's, it's digital literacy. It's dis digital understanding. And we're going to develop a series of lessons that can then interlink with our coding lessons. So you can teach one coding, then one digital resilience, then one digital citizenship. And the children can then start to really build a broad understanding not only of how to use a computer but how to use the wider network of computers safely and can students access this at home or is it purely based on school computers you kind of get a license for the for the school primate coding when we initially released it it's a school-based product um, which the idea was that the main video would be played on the front screen and the pupils would have a laptop in front of them with the coding software up so they could interact with the video when lockdown happened and we pupils couldn't go to school we decided as a company that actually schools haven't got the pupils there they can't teach it but this is so important that pupils still continue with their coding and computing education and for us with their environmental education so we released primate coding to the world completely free every video completely free so anybody whether it's a parent or a pupil or a school can go onto our website primatecoding.co.uk prime then the number eight coding and they can sign up and register with us and they can access every single video completely free of charge and download our software completely free to their computer. It's a very small file. It takes about a second to download on an average network. Um, the videos you can watch online. Uh, a lot of people that have fed back to us have said that they've got the coding software open on the laptop and they're watching the videos on a tablet or a phone next to it. So their, um, their, their child is, is doing both at the same time and imitating what a school would do um, so they're able to follow the videos so we found that home learning has really benefited from having this system that has an ability to be um, used elsewhere schools i know are sending it home for home learning um, because it's there it's available either the school at the moment is signing up just with one login and passing the login out to the pupils and saying log in with this and go for it but also because you can play the video on the front of the screen at school and the pupil can have a laptop in front of them. It allows for social distancing. Every pupil can have a laptop two meters away from everyone else, watch the video and the schools can use it to social distance within the classroom. So we have decided that until September, that is free. We're not going to take it down. We're not going to charge a single penny for anybody, whether you're a school, a parent or a pupil. It's completely free for everybody until September just to help everyone get through this really tricky time. That's brilliant. And I think at the very beginning, you said that this is a great system for teachers who are not very good at coding. Some of the feedback that we've had, um, uh, there was one parent of a year six child um, who emailed us and said, I don't know what to do. And then before I could reply, I had another email two minutes later from them saying, don't worry, my year six child has sorted it. Um, <laughs> and then the next day we got another email saying they absolutely love it. They've taken your video, they've started making a quiz, but they wanted me to email you to tell you that they think they can do a better job. 
So I emailed back saying, send through their code once they've done it. I want to see it. And they had. They'd taken it and gone, actually, I know what I can do. And it was that whole concept of why we're doing this with the independent thinking. Suddenly, I went, yeah, someone has done this as a home learner, not even with a teacher there saying, can you do it? They So the videos are so self-explanatory that pupils can just sit there and it will tell them what they need and then encourage them to think wider, think independently and to go further. So if anyone is thinking of um, joining, then they just need to go to the website, register and it's there for them to use. After September, once theoretically schools go back, the service will then go back to our usual subscription only for schools. If schools are interested in subscribing, then they just need to contact us. Um, the best one is email. They can email Cody at prime eight number eight intl.com and if they email us or contact us through the website then they can discuss the options with us um, and we can look at getting them subscribed up for september once they've subscribed they will then get access to our full assessment spreadsheet which i explained earlier and also the progression of skills that we've got showing how our lessons take them through the national curriculum all the way from year one to year six that's brilliant it hits all the markers it helps students it's easy for teachers to use they can use it at home and there's a built-in data assessment sheet for all those teachers who are a bit data phobic and they can use Absolutely. it. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I truly and honestly believe in this system. I wouldn't have spent however many hundreds of hours creating, editing, voicing over videos, uploading with a slow internet connection that takes hours on end to get them there if I didn't truly believe in it. I really believe that this system fills so many gaps in environmental education, in teacher knowledge with coding, but also still covers that full coding curriculum requirement of the primary school national curriculum all the way from year one to year six. Um, and does it in a way that is fun, it's visual, it's keen aesthetic, it's auditory, it covers so many areas. We've spent so long designing this so that we can help as many people as possible, whether it's schools, teachers or pupils, to really benefit from our system. Um, and, and then hopefully they can then benefit from the wider range of products that we're gonna be releasing over the next few months. Thanks, Alice. Ellis mentioned Primasia, the prologue earlier. You can find it by searching Primasia prologue without any spaces on the Google Play Store, but we'll include a link in the episode description below. In Pupils Causing Concern today, we're going to hear from Ellis. Take a listen. For me, when pupils, in primary especially, because they don't understand it, see you out of the school. They see you in Tesco's or around town or somewhere and they just have this look on their face of I know you but you should be in the school <laughs> and they just don't know what to do with that they don't know whether to talk to you or to ignore you because you shouldn't be in this place this is my place and you're meant to be in school because obviously you live in the school you sleep in the school all the teachers live together in the school that's how it works um, and so those moments are I, I find them quite funny because you see the child again the next day or if it's a weekend you see them on the Monday and they're just not quite sure whether they did see you do I believe it was it him was it not I'm just gonna <laughs> pretend it didn't happen and we'll just carry on and it's it's a it's a good moment and then uh, as they get older they suddenly realize oh teachers actually do have a life somewhere <laughs> We're not just robots that come out of the cupboard at 8.30am and we go back at three. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're not. Surprisingly, we're not. Although I'm sure in secondary, some of your students might still be surprised at that. 
Yeah, no, I have had a few students because we do so much intervention. I'm an art teacher, so we do so much intervention after school and the kids will come in and go, I swear that's where you were sitting when I left yesterday afternoon. Is there a bed bed behind your desk? And I did, sometimes I do feel like I do sleep there. (laughs) It, it, It does get to that point, especially end of term assessment time, report writing time. It does end up with, I may as well just not go home tonight. <laughs> it's not funny. It's not funny. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's not funny because it is so true for no. every teacher. So true. So true. <laughs> In any other business, Kath is going to explain some of the CPD she's been doing this week and the EdTech conference. So this week, I was really grateful to at the very last minute, get a link to the EdTech conference and I signed up to it so that I could just see what other schools and what everyone's doing with technology. And I've got to say, it was probably the best CPD I've done all of lockdown. And it might be some of the best CPD I've ever done because it was so interesting. Um, There's so many good speakers. Um, There was a great workshop on the top 10 mobile apps that your students can be using. I really enjoyed that one. Um, But a lot of those apps were geared towards SEND students, which was amazing. Um, But I'm gonna talk a little bit about the final keynote speaker. His name's Mark Sparvel. And I did actually post one of his quotes on Instagram um, this week, just because he really inspired me, not just because he's a fellow Australian, but because he talks about so many things that were so important. He talked about students being seen, heard and having freedom, which I think is really important. And he talked a lot about student well-being, but also he was talking about some of the things we touched on last episode about what we're going to do when we reopen in September. And what he suggested is the first thing we need to look at is health and safety. We then need to look at the students' well-being, and he talked about things like using mood meters in the classroom, which I've actually put into my schemes of learning already. So thank you for that, Mark Sparvel. And then talking about, we need to look at their equity. So whether they're having the same experiences as everyone else, do they have the same equipment? Do they have the same platforms? All of those sorts of things. And then once we've got all of those strategies in place, then looking at our quality of learning. And I thought it was a really, different approach to the way some of the government guidance has talked about. Um, So he works for Microsoft and Microsoft are doing lots of things for education. Um, So I definitely think he's worth following on on Twitter. He's at Sparvel, S-P-A-R-V-E-L-L. Definitely worth following because, and if you get to see him speak, he's quite an engaging speaker. So, um, so many things that I learned. I'm not sure if EdTech are publishing all of these videos. I really hope they do and that they're accessible to everyone because I think there was so much content over the two days that people could use in this kind of very strange time. It was really amazing. That sounds great. Uh, Do you want to tell us a little bit about next week's episode? So on next week's episode, we're going to be talking about student wellbeing um, and talking about how we can support them. We've also got Jackie from Arc Centre and Gallery in Stockport talking to us about how we can support people that have poor mental health. And it's really interesting how she talks about good mental health and poor mental health, that we all have mental health. And it's a really, really interesting interview and she's going to tell us a little bit about her favorite teacher and um, well my husband is a primary school teacher so obviously i have to say him and he was <laughs> a, 
a, a college lecture as well. But no, the person I thought of when 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 I thought of that question was my my year six, as it, it wasn't year six, but the last teacher of primary school for me um, was so passionate about writing stories and reading stories and that, that was what I loved doing at that time. I was a voracious reader and I wanted to be a writer at the time um, and, and he kind of you know made me think that that was possible and he actually left teaching at the end of that year and um, became a writer. Oh my so he, goodness! It's Rod Hunt who wrote the Biff, Chip and Kipper books that all our children have no. learned. Yeah, isn't that funny? <laughs> that so, is yeah. funny. I don't yeah. think that there is a parent of young children that hasn't read those books. <laughs> I know, I know. It makes me laugh because when my children were doing it, I kept saying, he was my primary teacher. But yeah, um, I'm sure he's written other stuff that's probably a bit, you know, better as well. But, um, but yeah, I, that, he, he, he was a great teacher. Thanks, Jackie. So coming up on Non-Contact Time, we are getting towards the end of season one and it's been an amazing season. So our last episode of the season will be an end of term barbecue because I know lots of you probably haven't had your end of term dues. So if you'd like to be involved in our end of term barbecue, all you have to do is take a soundbite, something you've enjoyed during the season. So you can just record and say, I've really enjoyed Hannah's laughing, for example. <laughs> And then I copy her because <laughs> we talk to each other too much. <laughs> so if there's something you've really enjoyed during any of the episodes, take a soundbite, record yourself, send it to us. You can send it to our email, noncontacttime at gmail.com or through our social media channels. So you can send it through a private message on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook because we're on the Facebook group as well. We'd love to hear um, what you've been thinking about the whole season and essentially we're just going to wrap up the first season and kind of talk about some things that are coming up next season also Hannah you want to talk about reviews yes so if you are able to get onto apple podcasts and you've typed in non-contact time we'd really appreciate a review a subscribe a rate because anything that you do on there like Kath has, has said before will allow other people to find our podcast and we are growing every week it's fantastic the number of people that are now listening to each podcast is more than we ever would have thought but obviously we're only a small bubble haha um so we'd like to get that (laughs) we'd like to get the message out further so that more people who might be interested can engage with us and we can have some really lively debates because obviously if you've seen my twitter this week you'll know i love a good debate (laughs) like being controversial (laughs) So please review and send in your thoughts, even if you want to do it via instant message, via LinkedIn, any of the formats, social medias. It's brilliant to see some feedback because obviously not everybody's got Apple podcasts. And during our end of term barbecue, we'll announce the winner of our review competition. Thank you to those people who sent stuff in already. We love that. It's great. So um, we'll announce it on the episode and then you just get in touch with us with your address. Thanks so much again to Ellis from Primate and thank you for being so patient. I hope you've enjoyed the episode and I hope all of our listeners have too. Thanks. Bye. Bye.